Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by Becky Hills and Sophie Scully. We're here to make your 20s that little bit less scary. Touching on everything from career anxiety, struggling to pay your rent and the imposter syndrome that we all feel but no one talks about, this podcast will prove that ultimately we're all in the same boat. Hi everyone and welcome to episode four of Grad Life by the Horns. Now we covered so much stuff in this episode from experiences with mental health, diversity, privilege, mentoring your peers, working in tech, changing careers and work-life balance. There is a huge amount of content in this episode that will hopefully inspire you to take control of your life after graduation and really fulfill your dreams and become the best version of yourself. We could have literally sat down and chatted for hours. I'm sure we've cut out a huge amount of content that hopefully we can use in a bonus episode in the future because there is just so much to get your teeth into and we're so excited for you to listen to it. As per usual, we're just going to do a few plugs. We'd love it if you would follow us on Instagram at scradlifebythehorns and engage with what we post on there. We always post whenever we publish a new episode, we post stories, we ask your questions. We've got a exciting project coming up at the beginning of January where we're going to do a graduate takeover, which essentially means that we're going to ex- accept submissions from you, our listeners talking about your experiences with graduation and we're going to sit down and work through them to give you guys a voice and to help you get involved in the podcast but yeah we're so excited for you to listen to this episode please rate review and subscribe on itunes and share with everybody you know because we want to reach as many people as possible let's get into the episode This week's guest is Danny Nackby, who graduated from Loughborough University last year and has taken the graduate world by storm. As someone who is incredibly open about his battles with mental health, Danny started his blog, Be Remembered, December 2016, he begins his journey by sharing why I decided to take up writing, the time is to start now. It's a combination of sharing his own experiences and articles on mindset and careers, and it has touched many who relate. Danny speaks up about what it is like navigating uni and grad life as an ethnic minority in the UK, in particular the BAME community. As someone who went from working for a bank in his placement year to working as a graduate in the world's biggest social media business, Danny has a broad and diverse insight into the positives and negatives of careers and the third world of employment. Danny, it's a pleasure to welcome you into Grad Life by the Horns. Thank you very much. I, I quite like that bio. Took the grad world by a storm. I was thinking, geez, put me on the cover of Forbes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> new Instagram bio there. Yeah. <laughs> <Great> that, yeah. <laughs> so we start every podcast by asking you three questions. So the first of those is, what is the most adult thing you've done this week? The most adult thing I've done this week, Christ. Um, <laughs> the most adult thing I've done this week was probably helping my younger sister with her homework. It makes me feel like a real dad, that's for sure. Wow, yeah. <laughs> what kind of homework was it? Was it? So she's doing fractions right now. She's in primary oh. school. We have a massive age gap, but I think um, as a result, our relationship is very like paternal and sort of like a, yeah, she kind of sees me as, all, all in addition to being an older brother, I take a lot of responsibility on that side. So mm. yeah, I'm always sort of checking in. She's got her 11 plus next year. So it oh, makes me cute. feel perhaps a lot older than I should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a crazy age gap, isn't it? Actually, yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. Like just... You've come up the other end of uni and she's just about to go into secondary school. It's exactly crazy. that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, it makes me feel very old because already she says like a lot of phrases or she keeps in touch with certain trends, which I'm just like, I've got no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, damn, this is what my parents must feel like with me or something like that. <laughs> the next question we ask um, to contrast with it is what's gone wrong this week? Oh, damn. What hasn't gone wrong? Okay. <laughs> How much time have we got? Because there's a lot. <laughs> much um, time yeah. <laughs> I would say, um, I would say that I have learned the hard way of the consequences of being disorganized. Um, I started off this week with being unwell, so I was playing catch up at work and I've just been drowning all week. Um, So when I say I'm behind on everything that I need to do, I just feel like my to-do list is growing by the hour. Um, It's just a very quick reminder that don't let yourself get into this situation again. These things happen though. What have you learned from both of the things you've talked Mm. about? Um, I would say is now that we're graduates and I'm sure that we'll speak about this a bit more in a moment but um, make the most of your time a lot more efficiently 
um, you know, s- stick to a schedule, um, things can really pile on very, very quickly. And, you know, going back to the first question that you asked me, you know, it's important to make time for the things that you really do care about, the things that are important to you outside of work as well. Quite often, work can really consume your daily life and what you think about, what you're focused on. Um, for example, I hadn't been home, I hadn't seen my family since towards the end of August. Um, so now that I've, I came home for the first time, and for those listening, I live in Dublin now. Um, so when I flew back into London and I, I went back home into Essex to visit my family, it was really important that even though I felt so overwhelmed and stressed out with everything at work, that I just actually just focus on giving my parents and my sister quality time where I'm not being distracted by my emails or my phone and so on. Mm. It's so important to find that work-life balance, isn't it? And when your um, world is so consumed about work and you're so passionate about your work as well, you just kind of always want to be on guard for it. You can't switch off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sort of getting the advice before when I was at my placement year where some mentors said to me back then, don't think of it in terms of work-life balance. Work should never come first. At the end of the day, yes, you may sacrifice it at some point, but it should be a life-work balance and your life is what should come first and should be your number one priority and you should fit your work around your life and not your life around your work. I think the first thing that will be good to talk to you about really is just like what's current for you and what's coming up and just give us a bit of context of how your grad life is kind of like planned out mm. since you graduated last year. So it's crazy number one to think that it's been over a year already. Mm. Um, I recently had my one year work anniversary back in September. Yes, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's crazy because, you know, you you blink and like a year just flies by. So it makes you think and it puts things into perspective a lot more to, to actually start to forward think a lot more and understand, okay, well, this time next year, where am I going to be? The year after, where am I going to be over there? So I think when I hit that one year mark, I thought, okay, it's time to take a step back and think a bit more broadly and understand like where I really want to be going. Um, I think in the last year I've learned so much, not just about sort of the nature of my role or, you know, about the industry, but actually a lot more about myself, you know, what am I good at that I didn't know about before or uh, what am I not so good at that I still need to work on? What do I want out of my lifestyle? And, you know, what things continue to be important to me? Um, I think in my personality type, I've always been very forward thinking and perhaps I planned too much um, mm. and so in the last year or two I've really tried to learn how to go with the flow a bit more so that's why when I when I moved to Ireland in September last year and I started working I said to myself let me just take a step back over there and just focus fully on my grad job and and um, making the most of it learn as much as I can meet people enjoy myself and so on fully immerse myself and once I get to the one year mark that's when I can start to explore other things again so um I've been doing that. I think obviously with my blog, um, I have taken a step back there. I I don't write that much anymore. Not so much because it's not because I I don't want to. It's just um, I've been really prioritizing my time Mm. towards work and my life in Dublin and so on. Um, That's been number one. Uh, Secondly, I've had other opportunities that have been really coming my way. Um, People may or may not have seen it already, but um, I've been helping out with an organization that's been set up recently called Gentlemen of Growth. There's a guy that uh, I went to uni with, a um, really great guy. He started um, this group called Gentlemen of Growth and sort of the aim of it is to empower and to educate um, other men, other young men. Um, so that's been in the works for a long time and that recently went live. So I'm, I'm sort of advising on, on the advertising and marketing on, for, that, for that group. So that's been taking up some of my time outside of work. And Having like a side hustle, is that always something that's been a, like, a thread throughout your life if you always not wanted to do just one thing? Um, yes, and very much because um, I have a bad problem of wanting to do everything and anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been like that since a young age. Even at school, I've always been like, I'll do this club and that club and try out just a ton of things. Um, I had probably have very bad FOMO. Um, <laughs> we all know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and same at uni, you know, whether it was I was part of this committee or that committee, you know, I wanted to be part of different things and I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed learning about lots of different things I think unintentionally that's helped me to at least some extent become uh, relatively well-rounded as a, as a person I think that's what's helped me to you know get my my placement in banking for example or get this graduate job in tech for example I think mm-hmm. having a wide variety of experiences and skill sets and you know 
diverse background when it comes to my CV. I think that's really helped me. And so the same with this, I've, I didn't really want to follow a linear path with my career and just think, okay, well, I'm going to jump into a job and then that's it for the next 40, 50 years of my life until I retire. I wanted to actually explore different things. And I know, I know that I'm capable of doing so much more than just my job on a daily basis. And mm. I want to be able to use my skills and qualities to add value outside of work as well and actually have a positive impact on the people around me. Do you think having that extra kind of string to your bow, do you think through doing lots of different things, it makes you a better person and more focused when you actually do your actual job? I would hope so. And I think so. I think um, if I even think about the blog, which I've been running for a few years now, that itself, the challenges that I went through, especially in the early days, taught me a lot where now where I advise my clients, I can speak from personal experiences on, you know, where it's relevant. Mm. Um, So it gives me a layer of empathy, I think. Do you reckon that's something that you would advise most graduates to do is to do something along with their job as like a side project? Um, No. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say no is, sorry, when I say no, I don't mean that, oh, I discourage people from doing that, but I don't think people should do it for the sake of doing it. Um, I did it because I have always done it because that's just been my, in my nature to do so. And it's something that I get energy and fulfillment out of doing but you know it's super super important especially for people of our age to really understand and learn about who you are as an individual um you know i know obviously it's a jokey phrase that we sort of throw around about sort of quote unquote finding yourself Mm. um i've never had a problem with people doing things like that because i think self-awareness is so so important and especially over our 20s where you know i think we're going to change quite a lot and our personalities are going to develop and mature in its own way um, learning about what you like and what you don't like is super super important and understanding who you are is really valuable so if you're not that type of person to want to do something outside of work if you're content with you know um, putting your 100% into your day job and then in the evenings you know it might you might just do a hobby or a sport or you might not do anything but if that's what's fine for you then great you don't have to do anything all I would say the advice I would give is if you are genuinely interested in about a certain topic or you have a passion in a certain area but you're not following it because you think oh i don't want to do it i'm in this career field and it doesn't tie in then i'd probably question okay well what's the reason why you're not doing it because you know whilst we're young and we don't have commitments and so on and we have relatively a lower level of responsibility now's the time where i feel like we can take risks yeah it's so true and it's kind of when the imposter syndrome is at its like mm. max when you're trying to start up something and you don't feel like you have a place to start it up. I know that we have definitely Becky and I have had many conversations about oh like are we qualified enough to do this like do we know what we're talking mm. about and we were so and worried middle, about yeah we were worried about not having a big enough platform to launch yeah. it on. We're like we're not influenced we can't do it but it's like that's the sort of thing that holds people back especially mm. now with social media like you and I both know social media from kind of like the corporate side but on a kind of more societal level everyone looks on social media all the time and they're like but so and so is doing this and this person's got a million followers and they're the same age as me so why aren't I doing this and it's that like that holds a lot of people back and it makes you also thinking onto what you said like if you don't have the passion to start a Mm. side project but you feel like you should be because everyone else is then it's not going to be as genuine you're not going to get as much out of it yeah and uh, well I guess you know before I continue I think it'll be quite interesting to hear from you two I guess even though you had that sort of dash of imposter syndrome I guess what made you two both decide actually you know what it's still worth it let's do it I think for me it was I've wanted to start a podcast for so long Mm -hmm. so my dad always used to listen to podcasts in the car when I was like nine he'd listen to like five live or something and I was like oh this is really cool and then I started listening to them properly when I was about 16 17 and I was like this is something I really want to do but I never had the topic that I wanted to draw on to do it and I was just like if I start a podcast no one's gonna listen what's the point and I just kind of I got to the point in my third year and I was like I didn't have a job yet and I was really passionate about journalism and I started doing like radio and broadcasting and stuff and I was like this I love doing it I'm so passionate about it and there's a real gap for something for graduates like I want to hear from people who are going through it um at the moment and there was nothing so I was like I do so much mental health activism I want to help people it doesn't matter that I haven't got a platform it's that I just need to get something out there and hopefully even if it helps 10 people 
it's better than not doing it at all and just regretting mm. not doing something my whole life. Mm. I think with me, when Becky first mentioned it to me, the first thing that went into my head was I'm I don't kind of consider myself as a very good speaker. So that was my first like skill worry. And also I didn't have any like journalistic experience really. So I, I think my, like Becky, my main issue was like who would want to listen to my voice? Like it's or what I my opinion is, like it's not relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um but what we did is we just kind of sat ourselves down and we were just like, I'm sure you've done this plenty of times as well when we just sat ourselves down, we were just like, right, we need to get a grip and realise that if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. But this is something we're passionate about, so we need to kind of go full steam ahead. Exactly. And I think, you know, what's super interesting about what you both said and equally unsurprising is you went from thinking, oh, are people going to listen to it to actually that wasn't your priority. It became actually, I'm really passionate about something and I want to do it. So oftentimes, and the same with my blog, it took me so long to start my blog and I always enjoyed writing. I found it very, you know, uh, relaxing Mm. and I felt like I was naturally, it was a good skill for me, but I was so afraid of what are people going to think? And especially when you're at university, you worry about that a lot more and you're like, Oh, are people going to laugh at me or people going to think, Oh, this is rubbish and so on. Um, then it came to a point where I thought actually, I'm not doing this for other people. I'm not writing so that, you know, I can get tons of views and everything. No, it's nothing about that. That's why I've never, which is potentially a mistake, but is why I've never invested any paid advertising for my blog is Mm. I've kept it organic. I've only written about things that I genuinely want to write about. I haven't written about things for the sake of, oh, everybody wants to hear about this, so I should definitely write about this. It's just, I really want to write about it. I feel like I can add value to someone. If it helps even one person, cool. But either way, like I'm, I'm passionate about this. So talking about your blog, what was like the main trigger? Would you say because you started it in university? So what was the main trigger that was like, no, that's it. I I yeah. have to do this. Like this is my thing now. So I remember I just finished my second year, and at that time I was going through a really rough time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went through a breakup. I just moved back home to start my placement year and you know when you're at university and you're so used to living your uni life and all of a sudden you're like okay I'm moving home (laughs) it's a bit of a shock to the system and then I started working at an American investment bank which was super tough and I had crazy imposter syndrome I remember um, on the first day I met people from like Oxford and LSE and I'm thinking I don't feel like I'm as smart as these people. The other intern in my team, she was fluent in seven languages. Seven languages? Yeah, I'm wow. thinking, well... That's mad. I mean, apart from English, I don't know what I know. You, know, I can, you start to notice the things you don't have. All of a sudden, you yeah. start to realise, damn, like I feel a bit inadequate. So mm. I was going through a rough time inside and outside of work. I was struggling to find my feet in the workplace in terms of identifying, okay, how can I actually make an impact? How can I cut through the noise and be one of those interns that really stands out because I know that I've got a one-year time frame to impress and meet a lot of people and learn as much as I can and then at the end of it get a graduate offer whether I go back or not is a different story but you know you want to go into final year knowing that you've got something um so during that time of stress I remember there was another summer intern she had her own blog and I used to read her posts I used to feel so inspired by what she had to say and the way she said it she pushed me to start she was like, what's the worst that can happen? And I was like, yeah, I know you say that, but uh, it was kind of scary to do so at the same time. And one day I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to work on it quietly for the next few months, build up a you know a backlog of posts. And um, when I'm ready, I'll announce it publicly. I was so scared even to tell some of my best friends, even though I'm like, well, they're my boys. They'll always back me. They'll always support me. It's letting yourself be vulnerable, isn't it? Exactly. So... I remember um, I went to the gym with one of my best mates on the weekend one time and I told him, I said, oh, Tom, mate, there's something I need to tell you. <laughs> I basically just let it out and I spilled it. I was like, oh, yeah, look, this is something I'm working on. Um, this is what I want to write about. This is what I want to do. And he just had a really positive, supportive reaction. And Tom's one of my friends um, who is very direct and he's very honest and transparent. 
if he thinks what you're doing is BS, like he'll let you know. Like he <laughs> has no mercy on that side in a nice way. Um, so I've always known that, okay, if I have his support, then I know that I'm on the right track. So yeah, so after that, you know, things went well. And then I announced it a week before I launched and I got a ton of positive feedback from the vast majority of the people. Um, I would say there was a few people um, who definitely use it as an opportunity to have a good laugh online. Um, people you were close to? No. And I think that was a big lesson for me because these were people that I'm not really even friends with. These are people that I just knew. Mm. Um, and at the beginning, I remember how anxious it made me feel and it, how embarrassed it made me feel. I just felt, I almost felt like ashamed that I was doing something that was outside of the norm, quote unquote, at that time. And I was so self-conscious about, oh my God, like every time I'm going to post now, people are going to be laughing or, you know, every time there's a voice in my head saying, oh, you know, what would people think? And then I remember my dad said to me one day, he was like, why are you letting these things bother you? He was like, it's just a couple of people, a handful of people at most. But then on the other hand, you get so much positive feedback from the people that you actually care about and their opinion matters a lot more. At the end of the day, you can't please everyone. So if you're going out to do so, then you're making a big mistake in the first place. He was like, look, the right people will continue to follow you. He was like, the best way to kind of overcome something like that is just to continue to do what you're saying. And eventually those people who have unfair criticism of you will give up. I mean, how much time does someone realistically have, right? Like they've got their own lives to attend to as well. Um, so it's different. Obviously, if someone gives me feedback and they're like, oh, Danny, you know what? I disagree with what you said because of X, Y, Z, or you should have articulated it in a, in a much more effective way. Would it be better if you did this? That's valuable feedback for me. I remember specifically reading that you were like, please give me feedback. Yes. Because that is the only way I'm going to properly grow. 100%. And reach people that it needs to reach. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, um, it's going to be the same after this. When people come and listen to this, what I'll be asking my friends and family and, you know, people that I don't even know is, can you give me feedback? What could I have said better than this? I could have helped someone. Um, and unless I don't get that, how am I going to improve? And people pleasing is such a such a common thing that we've noticed that a lot of graduates seem to suffer with is that you get into the workplace and you're like, I've got everyone's gonna be my friend, everyone's gotta like me. And you wrote a really interesting article about um the selflessness syndrome and how to be more selfish. I have tried in the past to please people too much, you know, whether it's friends or families or you know, with exes for example, it's like you want you're so invested in your friends and family and the people that you care about and you try to you know avoid letting them down at any given time and I think sometimes it's okay to take a step back and like you know what I'm just going to do something for me and I think when I was going through my own battle with mental health I found it very hard and I found I found myself feeling very guilty all the time if I felt like I wasn't up for let's say going to see people or up for having a conversation with someone because I just needed that time alone, for example, or I needed to do something that was just for me. Um, I think in my community and in my culture as well, is um, we have a culture whereby, you know, family first. And that means putting your family before yourself, which is something I still stand by for sure. Um, but I think actually being selfish sometimes is a way of expressing long-term selflessness. And by that, I mean... You know, there's always that analogy of you can't pour from a glass that's empty, right? So you need to take care of yourself first in order to be able to take care of others. So I know if I'm completely, let's say, just blown out at work and I come home and I'm super slumped and then I need to catch up with my family on the phone and they need help with something or advice on something, I can't give them my best. Mm. So I'd rather say, you know what, I'm sorry, but tonight I can't. I'm really tired. Let's catch up on the weekend when I'm fresh. And I know this is a really small example, but then I feel like I'm more effective in that situation. The same in the workplace as well. Sometimes you've got to learn to say no. And I've always had a problem of, yeah, I'll do this project and that project. And I'll say yes to every single person who asks me for something. Um, and I learned in my previous work atmosphere that that really burnt me out. And I had to have the courage and the confidence to say no in a constructive way. Mm, and I, that's something I can completely relate to. Like I've had the most 
intense two weeks of work of my entire life like I was I haven't had an evening free or a weekend free in about a month yeah and because I just keep saying yes to everything because I'm like I'm in a new job I've got to do this got to do that I've got to impress people and I've just completely burnt myself out and it's realizing listening to that it's so inspiring because it's like learning to say no it's not going to be a detriment in the long run because it makes you more effective at the things you actually do do rather than just saying yes to everything and putting half your effort into it I think as well when every time you say no you can say yes to something better yeah and that's the mindset that I think a lot of people should have because generally the British tend to say yes yeah (laughs) um and that's just I think that's kind of like a cultural thing because I've Mm. noticed in other countries they say no a lot more and it's taken as impolite, isn't it? If you say yeah. no to something, it's not a nice thing to say. You know, one thing that's really helped to open my eyes with this is, obviously now that I've moved to Ireland, every single time I come home, it's generally just for two or three days. So every single time I'm back, I never come back just to relax at home with my family. It's I come back to actively do something with my family and all my friends. And as a result, if I'm saying yes to one social plan, it means I'm saying no to another. So you have to really prioritise and every yes, as you said, means a no to someone else. And that's something that I think as graduates we need to learn and it's something yeah. that you do learn as time goes on and it's so easy to think as soon as you've graduated that you'll be perfect at prioritising and you'll be able to do everything in the right way. But actually it's like learning what works well for you. Some people are really high functioning and they can cope with doing something every single night and some people aren't and that's something that you have to learn and get used to and kind of really it sounds very deep but like kind of dig inside yourself and work out what sort of person am I am I an introvert am I an extrovert does this work for me does this not work for me and how you best get your energy and recuperate from things 100% I think you know what just thinking about that a bit more sort of holistically is actually it goes two ways as well so you have to be okay with receiving no's at the same time Mm -hmm. so sometimes my friends or my family or my manager or my colleagues they say no to me as well and you know what that's absolutely fine because if you want people to be fine with you saying no, then you've got to be fine the other way around too. You know, things don't always work out your way all the time and people don't please you all the time as well. So it's not always a 50-50 split. And you know what, sometimes that's okay. You've touched and mentioned a few times about mental health. How has your mental health been impacted since graduation? Hmm, good question. <laughs> I would say that I'm very, very, very grateful that I've actually been in a really good place. Um, I was worried about, if I'm being honest, I was super worried about how it would be when I moved to a new country and met new people all over again and started in a new industry, for example. Um, I had gone through an extremely rough year during my final year of university. And, you know, you two know how it is. Final year is... It's tough. It's just like getting hit by a train every morning so um I went through a lot both academically and non-academically and I think you know there's a lot of other factors in my personal life at that time that contributed to the way that I was feeling um I left university obviously feeling very relieved and grateful and blessed for the experience I had had but at the same time I was also thinking damn how on earth I even get through that final year I've there were times where I don't I didn't recognize the person that I was becoming or had become and I thought to myself if I don't you know put a stop to this now then I don't know how effective I would be or how I'm going to be able to cope when I move to Dublin um so I think you know my priority was to sort of go back to what we were speaking a moment ago to be selfish and understand that going to Dublin is a fresh start and so of course it's tough I'm blessed that I've been surrounded by some really great people out in Dublin and that's been a good um, support system for me and I think I've I'm in a workplace now and in an environment where I really genuinely feel like I can be myself where I feel like I've got good genuine friends around me where if I'm not feeling okay I can actually be open about it and so that awareness or that consciousness and maturity has taken some time to build up but thank god times a million that (laughs) you know i haven't had for example when i was in my final year of university i I was suffering from anxiety attacks quite a lot um i haven't had one since i've left uni i'm genuinely i'm proud of myself and you know for anybody listening if you've gone through a similar thing or you know no matter how small or how big and you're in a better place now like i you should be proud of yourself too thank you so much for sharing that because 
as you know, like it's a it's a big topic in society at the minute about men in particular opening up about mental health and the battles they have internally. Because I think people forget that we only see the tip of the iceberg. You only kind of like take that in and you don't think about what's below the sea level. Yeah. So but speaking about that, have you over the last year kind of come to realise where your values lie and how do they reflect in your work and personal life? Yeah, um, I'll say just to touch on what you just said, actually, um, before I do answer that directly, mm. I'd say, um, you know, the point about things being sort of below the surface. I remember the first ever time I publicly opened up about my mental health was back in towards the end of uh, 2017. Damn, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so um, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was the first time that I even told, you know, Tom and some of my other best friends. Um and I knew that it was important that I do it, number one, to get that weight off my shoulders, but number two, ensure that other people going through something similar don't have to go through it the way that I did and know that there is support out there and you know, find actionable ways to recover. So that was the first time I opened up and I think when I did that, I that post got the most engagement of any posts that I've, I've ever written. And I had so many messages um, texts, DMs, emails from people that I'd never interacted with, never even followed or anything, um, just to say thank you. And a lot of people that did know me said they were so shocked, so surprised. They said, oh, but, you know, we see you, you know, doing public speaking here or achieving this or doing that, and we see you out all the time with your friends or you seem so outgoing and confident. But, yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, you might just see something on my Instagram that's like one picture from my day you know when I go home or when anybody goes home it can be a slightly different version of themselves right so um, that's just a touch on the the tip of the iceberg point yeah. so you know what I would say for those listening is please do check in on your friends and your family at a random you don't have to wait for a birthday or a Christmas or anything like that you know somebody that you haven't spoken to in a long time think of someone and just message at least one person and just be like hey thought of you how's everything going because that can really change someone's day mm. to answer your um question i think i've i think i've been aware of my you know values or guiding principles or whatever you want to call it for quite some time now you know more than just this one year i think since my placement year in particular i've learned a lot more about what values are important to me and i think as time goes on it becomes more and more prominent and I feel like I'm maybe consciously or subconsciously proving it to myself and I think one thing that stands out for me is I'll always choose my principles over profit and what I mean by that is um, if I don't agree with what's being done or what I'm doing and if I'm choosing let's say profit whether that's in the form of money um, or status or anything like that that's not right for me. My principles in terms of adding value and having a positive impact is what is important for me. So, you know, taking the job that I did was a pay cut <laughs> where I, you know, I cut nearly 10K from my graduate salary to move the com- to the company that I moved to. Um, and moving out and moving to Dublin has obviously been a hell of a lot more expensive than what it would have been like to live at home and just commute into London. Um, so my income went down, my expenses went up, but I really do genuinely believe in the mission of my company and seeing actually the great work that we do for the community, um, the the power and the opportunity in a in a positive regard of what we can do for individuals and for groups and communities all over the world. That reassures me with my day to day work. And on a day-to-day basis, you know, I work with a ton of different businesses and agencies all across the UK and Ireland and being able to help them and, you know, help them to make more money. But in doing so, they then create more jobs and hire more people, create new teams. Somebody gets promoted. Those things sit really well with me. Um, So whatever I do, I'll always choose principles over profit. Another thing I'd say is if you're going to do something do it properly mm. and if you're going to do something make sure you finish it don't do anything half-heartedly and don't quit halfway through um, and you've got to know that before you start anything 
So see it all the way through and make sure you've done it to the best of your ability. Once it's done, it's done. Um, and that goes for anything, whether it's within the workplace or when it comes to your relationships. Like for example, if you're going to do it, like make sure you're 100% in, not one foot in, one foot out. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's been another principle or value that's been more and more apparent to me in the last year. And I think both of those are so important and they link really well in that when you're looking for grad jobs, the first thing you look at most of the time is what's the salary? You could go into a job and absolutely hate every single day and come home and be living in a luxury apartment and it's that balance it's like have enough money to make it through but also don't go to the office every day and hate what you're doing just because you feel like that's what you should be doing and it's got more status and it's got more power involved with it and that's something that I was guilty of when I was looking at jobs I was like okay where's all the money at and I was like actually I don't want to go into banking or consultancy or something I'm not suited to that I need something creative yeah and so I took a job that maybe hasn't got the best salary, but I love what I'm doing. And it's making sure that you're not just picking a grad job and a grad career that you think you should be doing. It's like, what drives you? Where are you going to be happy? Because you can waste your 20s. You can spend 10 years in a job you hate and you get to 30 and you have a breakdown. And it's like, oh my God, what am I doing with my yeah. life? And it's working that out from the beginning and hearing stories like yours where you did take a 10K pay cut but actually you're happier than what you would have been doing so much happier (laughs) look i'm not saying that money isn't important we all want to get paid well we all want to be very comfortable that's absolutely okay but i just think for me personally for other people it might be different for me money wasn't the number one driver yes it was a factor and it still is a factor it's still a driver and you know whichever role i move to next whenever that is wherever it is of course it's still going to be a factor that i consider but it's not my number one driving force and for some people they are very money motivated and you know what that's absolutely fine if that's the person you are um, and you're okay with that then cool continue to do that um for me obviously i had other things in mind so um i think just understanding that has been quite important and as you said i'm a lot happier now Mm. um and you know i think when it comes to enjoying what you do in the workplace another thing i would say on that is look it's not easy um to get a job that you're going to enjoy and sometimes that's okay sometimes you dislike the role that you're in and you're not interested in the work that you're doing in the short term that's fine if there are other factors that are beneficial to you i think i remember you know one of my mentors in banking said something to me where he said look people consider three three things when they stay in a job they consider the money is it good enough they consider the people. Do they get on with people? Do they feel like they have a sense of belonging, for example? And thirdly, the actual nature of the role. Is this work either interesting and or fulfilling to me? Do I feel like I'm learning and so on? Mm, that's a great thing to consider. And I think a lot of people will benefit from hearing that because I know a lot of people who have ended up in jobs and they're already hating it and they've only been there two months. But they're probably not considering, okay, what do I like about this? It's so easy to get caught up in, oh my God, I hate this. I'm so tired. I can't bother to do this every day. But if you actually sit back and evaluate it and be like, okay, how is this going to help me in the future? Yeah. What am I learning from this? Like, that's always the thing I do. I'm like, okay, I might be having a shit time at the moment, but what is this going to gain? What am I going to gain from this in the future? And then you can completely reevaluate how you see things. How did you find the transition from working with a bank to working in social media? tough yeah. for sure uh, I went through imposter syndrome all over again because um, you, know, you reach a certain level of confidence and once you've graduated and once you've gained certain experiences it teaches you that oh actually I can do something good mm-hmm. uh, and I do know my stuff um, and then you come into a new workplace and it's a completely fresh industry within tech and the people that I started with again super smart um a lot of them had come from sales backgrounds or advertising backgrounds or had been at other tech firms for example um and whether they had professional or academic experience a lot of them did have some base level of knowledge and i didn't know anything about advertising it took me some time but after a few months you then begin to realize actually they hired me for a reason and they don't want everybody who thinks the same as well at the same time. There's You start to notice, actually, because of my background, which is very different, there's certain things that I can do that perhaps other people can't do. 
And so my skill set is still very valuable. And actually, I do complement the team and I do add value in the workplace. So understanding that you have transferable skills is super important. No matter if you're changing industry or just changing role, you know, picking up on what you've done in the past, both academically and professionally, you can apply those same skill sets. So, you know, having studied economics and politics at university, the content of what I did, I've not used it. Mm. I've barely used it at all. But actually the the skill sets and the qualities that I gained from doing my degree has helped me to approach situations in a certain way and has helped me to think in a certain way, which is very useful within the workplace. For anybody just starting off now, especially, or even for those that are, say, on internships, for example, please, please, please ask Mm. every and any question. (laughs) Even if it's a stupid question. I know they say to you, there's no such thing as a stupid question and there's definitely examples of stupid questions. Ask it anyway. Mm. So what? Especially if you do it early on, then it, you know, it helps you to get over all of those small nagging things that you think oh well in six months time you want to make sure that you already know that so do that don't be afraid to fail as well keep failing forward over and over and over and over again the more failures you can get out of your way early the better it is for you longer term if i think about you know some of the client meetings that i hosted mm-hmm. early on um in my career in tech i think damn that was actually super bad <laughs> um but i'm glad that i went through those failures so that let's say next week when I meet my clients things go a lot smoother mm. and look like failures will continue to happen and there's going to be a ton of things I still don't know and that you guys won't know but that's just part of the process yeah it's fine. and you don't always learn from things going really well yeah it's when things like everything just goes to shit and you're like oh god no but then you're like okay what exactly went wrong what can I pick up here and how can I improve that for the future if everything's going smoothly all the time and not trying to improve the best learnings come from failures no, I couldn't agree more. I think something that's quite important to ask is we touched on this earlier about how you obviously feel passionately about inclusivity and diversity. What do you think is the main challenge in the present day for anyone of an ethnic minority who is entering the grad- the graduate wasteland? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. God, there's so many, but... Um... Look, I can only talk about personal experience at the end of the day and I would premise what I'm saying with with the disclaimer, I guess, of that my experience doesn't necessarily reflect the experience of other minorities in the workplace and, and for those listening, um, I'm of a South Asian descent. My family's of Pakistani origin. Being of Pakistani origin doesn't necessarily mean that um, I don't know, let's think, like my flatmate's Ghanaian, for example, his experience isn't equal to my experience. Yes, we've both got our challenges as minorities in the workplace, um, as graduates. Um, he might go through certain things that I might not go through and vice versa. So just something to, yeah. to note beforehand. So take my answer with a bit of a pinch of salt. But what I would say more generally is actually is having role models to look up to. Um, you know, having mentors, for example, is super, super important at our age and having people that we can relate to and connect with. Um, I think from my background, there are values and cultural nuances that um, certain demographics might not be able to relate to, but actually I feel more comfortable when and this isn't an intentional conscious thing because I've got friends of all different types of backgrounds that I can connect with and I feel that understand me, you know, whether they're white or South Asian or not. Um, But when in the workplace, I think one thing as an example, which has been very beneficial for me is my specific team is super diverse. And I was just, it was luck that I fell into that team. My manager is from... um, a diverse background and so she understands the way in which I think about things she understands the values that I have she understands the way in which for example I prioritize my family you know family is a massive thing in my culture mm-hmm. and so if I'm feeling down on a particular day that has something to do with my family or to do with my culture or if I need to do something that's aligned to my cultural values she's very very understanding of that and I can have an open discussion about that I don't have to try and conform and try to be oh apologies if I offend anyone but I don't have to try to be 
the whitened down watered down version of myself mm. i can unapologetically be myself and i'm around people who i think are open to understanding and open to wanting to learn about my background um so i think you know having people that look like you but also think like you and understand you is super important and and oftentimes a person of minority isn't necessarily privileged to have that um and so as a result there are opportunities that might not come your way for example or there are um challenges that come your way that perhaps your white counterpart um might not have to face um for example let's think of it in this way and this isn't to speak about what's happened in my workplace but so i'm generalizing a lot here but um let's say that you enter the workplace and um there's a there's a very senior manager in your in your office who is a white woman who's come from a very similar family background to you and so on and so naturally you guys connect really well right you share the same values you share the same values the way of thinking you both enjoy going for a drink after work for example and then let's say um you have another graduate who's joined at the same time as you let's say for example a muslim girl who doesn't drink now she might not necessarily be able to relate or connect to that same senior manager she doesn't go for drinks after work with you guys um not to say by the way that muslims that don't drink don't go for after work drinks like they might still go socialize Um, i'm just using this as a really general example as a result if you've got a very good relationship with that manager and say a really good opportunity for a project comes up who do you think that manager is going to think of first probably you um and yeah, of course, we could go back and forth and all day about this and discuss the different variables that I, you know, I don't want to go deep dive. I'm just using this as a really high level example. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, having people that you can connect with and relate to and that understand you is super important. Having people that you can look up to is really important. This is something we really wanted to open the conversation up about because we are two white privileged women. Although we are women, so we haven't got the kind of male privilege, we still have a huge amount of ingrained privilege that we wouldn't have the experience to talk about on this podcast if we didn't Mm. speak to people like you who don't have the same life experiences as us. Like, although neither of us went to private school, we still are middle class women. Mm. And so we look at things in a very particular way, like we haven't really had a huge amount of stuff holding us back. The world is ultimately our oyster as white women, we have this huge amount of privilege. And to hear that when you go into the workplace, if you don't have anyone you can relate to, you don't have anyone in your immediate team who's of the same background as you, of course you're not gonna be able to have the same sort of conversations with them. And the graduate wasteland is such a, at the moment the conversation around it is very white. It's, It's very much talking about, well, you haven't got a job, but it's not talking about all the intricacies and things that go into that and play into it that you're, if you're not white, like it is more difficult to progress and get on in the, in the Western world if you're not of a very Caucasian background. Yeah, no, and I think, um, you know, number one, it's good having that self-awareness that you acknowledge your level of privilege. And look, to some extent, everyone, everyone does. If I think about it, for example, with me, I went to a grammar school that's given me a layer of privilege whereby it's given me access to opportunities that say, um, you know, somebody who didn't go to um, grammar school didn't have access to those type of opportunities. So even if I think about my background, um, growing up, the people that I grew up around had gone to private schools beforehand, for example, or their families were, you know, of middle class or from very affluent backgrounds. And being at the school that I went to, I became very aware of, damn, like these people have got a lot more than what I thought the average family had. I, you know, up until that point, I just thought, yeah, we're just a normal family. Um, But then, you know, when it came to things like, okay, getting work experience or the jobs that you get outside of sixth form, for example, I'm seeing my friends doing internships at like banks and legal companies and companies with good names because their families have got connections or their uncle worked here or their dad works mm, there. It's so nepotistic. Exactly. And so, you know, and of course, it's not to put these people down at all because at the end of the day, that's what I would love to do for my kids one day as well is to give them opportunity and access. And if I've got the network, then why not, right? You know, this is what we do it for. 
Um, so it's nothing against those type of people. It's actually, I just become a lot more aware of, damn, my parents don't have those type of connections at all. They can't get me anywhere to, in terms of, let's say, work experience, or they can't get me an internship. They can't connect me with somebody who can give me the right advice at, say, picking my degree for university. I was the first person in my household to go to university. Um, my dad grew up in Pakistan and he was only educated up to the age of 14, 15. That was it. And then he started working. My mum finished college and she was married at 19. She had me at 21. So they don't know what the university landscape is like. And of course, they do what they can to help me and to educate and to empower me. But there is a limit to what they can do. Um, And so going into university and let's say applying for my placement year, the only work experience I've got is retail, where I used to work some weekends. And to get my first ever retail job, I applied to over 50 different places just to get my first ever job at the age of 17. I used to go on my bike. I used to print out all my CVs at school. I used to go around shop to shop to try and do anything. I remember one time I was getting a haircut and I asked my barber, mate, I will sweep the floors if I need to. Um, and he just laughed at me and he was like, it's cool. Like, I've got someone who already sweeps our floors, but I just wanted to do anything and everything. Right. Um, so I had retail experience. I was a delivery driver for a Chinese takeaway at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting time in my life. Um, whereas then my friends had work experience in internships, like spring weeks and things like that at big name companies, corporate companies. So straight away, I felt like, damn, they've got a good head start. And they're in a good position to get a good placement. Now, I'm very fortunate that I got the placement that I did. Um, I was very surprised <laughs> that I got the placement that I did. Um, but since then, things have worked out for me. Now, if you take a young man or woman of ethnic minority background who's grown up um, in a disadvantaged or an underprivileged community, let's say, socioeconomically speaking, and as a result of the education that they've gone through, um, as a result of the lack of resources and opportunities around them, they've ended up going to, let's say, and this probably isn't the right phrase, but a mid to low level type of university. You know, not one with a recognizable name that helps you to get into big companies. And then as a result, they haven't been able to get an internship or a placement because a lot of these companies, the first thing they see is, you know, what are your grades, but also, what university are you at? Somebody Very elitist. Exactly. You know, somebody who went to Warwick already has a head start compared to, say, somebody who went to a university that not a lot of companies have heard of. Um, so now straight away they've graduated and they're asking themselves, I'm 30, 40, 50 grand in debt. I've got little to no work experience. I don't have connections through my family or through my family friends where shall I apply? I've got no job. And so they end up getting stuck in a trap of taking jobs that they're overqualified for. And that continues to happen for a very, very long time until they eventually work up to getting onto a level to say, you and I are already at. And so they're a few years behind already. Mm. So that's the difference. The difference is when you're privileged and you're running a 100 meter race, you're starting on the 20 meter line, I'm starting at the zero meter line. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's where there's a room as people who have now, we're all in like good graduate roles. We have a responsibility to then help people who haven't got that same advantage. And that's kind of what we wanted to do with this podcast almost is to share the wisdom of people who wouldn't necessarily meet these other people on a daily basis and say, look, you may not have the kind of nepotistic side of things. You may not have family connections. You can give you X, Y, and Z. But here is some practical advice on how best to cope with things after graduation if you don't necessarily have that already. Because it is so easy for us to forget that not everyone is ingrained with the same sort of privilege that we have. Because on a day-to-day basis, you're not thinking about Joe Bloggs and the fact that he grew up in a council flat and his parents don't know anyone who works for Barclays. But actually it's saying we we recognise our privilege and we want to help people who don't necessarily have that same sort of level as us. 100%. You know when you've come from certain types of backgrounds you're only exposed to certain things so for me for example um 
you know, especially growing up, because I never imagined that I'd be in tech, for example, first, I was very, very money driven. Because what I saw is my family, relatively speaking, don't have as much money as some of these other families that I can see around me. And the lifestyle that other people had around me in terms of their family was going on holiday every summer. I never had that when I was growing up. Um, or, you know, the connections that we spoke of, for example, you know, their parents are bankers or lawyers and engineers and accountants. It shows you the possibility of what you can do. But I didn't, I didn't know that. And so when you're in that situation, you don't think about, oh, I'm really passionate about, um, let's say, the arts or, you know, an English degree, for example. Mm-hmm. Let me do that. It's actually you're thinking, what can I go to university to study so I can come out and make the most money? so that I don't have to go through X, Y, Z. And then as a result, you don't prioritize your happiness and your passion, your interests. You prioritize money, career progression and status. Mm. And you end up working really long hours and you become disconnected with actually what's really important to you and who you are as a person, because actually you're going through life to pay bills and have wealth. And you're not going through life to follow your passions and interests, Mm. which you know, all of us in the room right now are very lucky to be able to do. So um, I think, you know, coming back to it, as I said, diversity and inclusion, although from my perspective, I think about it with respect to say ethnicity and race and religion, but actually it's so much more than that. And it's about your your upbringing and the way in which you think. Um, so just important to consider. And look, as I said, I can only speak to my experience or from the experiences that I've been close to from other people that are close to me. Um, there are a ton of other very, very important experiences that I would not ever have knowledge of. And although I might have heard or seen it, it's not the same as understanding it. And so, for example, your experience as a woman, although I might be able to listen and try to understand, I'll never understand the way that you feel, no matter what only another woman you know can um so the same way that i've got empathy for you two as women in the workplace um all i hope is that companies and the people around me and so on have that same empathy towards me and understand that um as a young muslim man of pakistani origin there are certain nuances to my experience that you might not be able to relate to but all we ask wherever is empathy and and actionable progress for everybody in the workplace and outside of it yeah and thank you so much for sharing that i think that's a really important note to kind of end the main bulk of this conversation i think that's a really important takeaway and going on from that kind of to lighten the tone a little bit we have a lovely cringy pun that we end every episode on how are you going to continue to grad life by the horns i think even this discussion has made me very aware of it um i think i'll continue to being to be open to different opportunities and experiences, continue to be open to risk. And as I said, whatever I do, try to put 100% into it. I think this discussion has been a good reminder that my values are really important to me and that should help to give me direction in whatever I decide to do when I'm grabbing life by the horns. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, thank you so much. No problem, thank you so much for having me. so much Danny for opening up about your experiences and insight into the graduate psyche as it were we really appreciate it and it's so important that we learn as graduates to open up about these things we do kind of live in a society where our wisdom and our experiences are measured and even defined by our age and it's not true and it's not fair we need to kind of break down that wall of not feeling like you can speak up about these things and how you feel and your experiences you know and that, that's where we want to get to with this podcast so on that topic we do have some really exciting projects coming up in the next year as becky mentioned in the introduction and the first episode of 2020 is going to work as a graduate takeover where we're going to ask you to send in your voice notes and we're going to make a, a takeover which is going to work as like reflection on 2019 and what you're looking forward to and what you have set up for 2020. We also have a lot of other stuff in the pipeline and we've had some incredible conversations over the last couple of months with these amazing guests 
And unfortunately, we can't put everything into an episode because they would just go on for hours and hours. So I think it's kind of a necessity now that we make a bonus episode, which works as like a montage of things that are extracted from episodes that we could we couldn't include in previous ones. Other than that, we think it's just really important that you keep up to date with all this stuff and follow us on Instagram at gradlifebythehorns and please keep reviewing us on whatever platform you listen to this podcast because the most important thing to us is that we stay aligned with you guys and we know what you want us to talk about more and what you want us to talk about less. But anyway, thank you so much, Danny, again. And good luck with all your endeavours. They sound really exciting. And we look forward to seeing you guys again in two weeks.